What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Haley Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome in to the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Michael Brunts. That's Brian Christofferson. Brian, the, the sun is shining. The temperatures are over. We're in double digits this morning. I might take my shirt off during the podcast here uh, if the moment strikes me. Are you staying warm? And also, how are you going to spend the uh, all of a sudden blast of tropical air here? Yeah. Um, you know, that that's this is how we're going to know if the guys who came from Miami, like if, if they're fitting when they're fitting into the culture, it's when you see them. i saw your joke the other day and it's true about uh hoodie and shorts, weather, how we're, we're coming upon that with this heat wave. That's when you'll know the Miami guys or any of the guys who are from Southern States have adapted well to their new surroundings when they, when they feel like, um, a 19 degree day is like balmy. Like it just feels good to them. They might put the car windows down a bit. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that, that's when things are really going well and, and tells you not only do you have a good culture, but you got guys that, uh, you know, they, 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 they've adapted and they they're thriving in it. And so the, that's going to be important to watch. They, they got to watch out for those guys though. Did you see the the clip going around of Ja'Cory Barney? He, uh, uh Hit a patch of ice outside Memorial Stadium. I, be- I believe it was Ja'Cory Barney. Uh, hit a patch of ice outside of Memorial Stadium and, and did like the full on like on his back, like uh, to-, to the ground type fall. So they're still adapting, I guess. I suppose there's a little bit of a uh, an adjustment period to that. You need like someone in the program whose only job, like uh, kind of an advisor role, is to like teach those guys like even how to walk into the stadium like when there's like ice patches and beware that you know like short choppy steps like you kind of go through it um like how you're supposed to do it and um try to avoid those things because you don't want someone out for the spring because of that i saw ethan nation also he, he's been around a year here but uh was tweeting about getting his his uh, car stuck in the snow a few times so everybody's having issues out there um I've mostly just stayed inside my house for four days, except for like one trip to the grocery store. I'm imagining like a GA doing like the old chivalry thing, like where he has like takes his jacket off and puts it down over a patch of ice. So like mm-hmm. Willis McGahee can walk over it like that. That's what I'm picturing. 
from your scenario there. You're talking about like 1940s chivalry, <laughs> which would like, yeah, like when you're supposed to walk on the side uh, closest to the street, if you're a fella, like that was like, I think yeah. one of the rules in case someone splashes mud or whatever up on. Um, yeah, that that could be a nice touch for the, the new the new guys. Yeah. Well, speaking of guys who are adjusting to new places. Glenn Thomas. It sounds like he's going to have to do a little adjusting to a new place. Um, yeah. Nebraska, the the long rumored and I guess expected. I mean, is that fair? I mean, it, it, it probably depends for the clock to run out, but on the playoffs. Yeah. It probably depends which circle you're in. I think to some people yesterday when it was announced, it was like, Oh, Glenn Thomas, like, you know, they're doing their research and then there's other people who've, you know, if if you kind of live in that world for a few weeks, you've kind of been expecting this one. So Glenn Thomas uh, coming on board at Nebraska to coach quarterbacks and the the kind of results of that move. You have Marcus Satterfield continuing with offensive coordinator responsibilities. You have uh, Satterfield's going to handle tight ends and Josh Martin, who was the interim tight ends coach following mm-hmm. the resignation of Bob Wager is headed back to his role uh, as an analyst, uh, presumably to work with tight ends, or he was, I believe brought in for special teams initially. Yeah, he was. he was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also coached running backs too at other spots. So maybe there's, there's a, a change there if he helps, helps there. But anyways, so Thomas in Satterfield to tight ends and offensive coordinator, what do you kind of make of that move? And, you know, I, I, I kind of, if you get into his background a little bit, I mean, this is a, a guy that's very, very familiar to Matt Rule and the staff and kind of how they do things. Yeah, he was at Temple um, from uh, 2015 to 16. Then he was at Baylor as the co-work, co-OC and QB's coach from 2017 to 19. He had a really nice run with uh, Charlie Brewer um, at Baylor. And if you've listened closely to rule speak about his former players, there's a list of four or five guys who comes up more than others. Yeah. And I don't mean that as a, to make fun. It's just like, you know, you have guys that kind of jump to the top and Charlie Brewer um, is one of those guys, uh, just the way he handled that spot and grew in the leader for that team and sort of a clutch guy and um, got him a lot of wins. And um, the guy who was helping coach him, um, Glenn Thomas, um, you know, it makes sense that he would reunite with Rule here. And and I I'm looking at it from Glenn Thomas's point of view. He was just with the Steelers, so pretty good gig. Um, there's got to be some excitement about, hey, why don't you come in here and coach this guy uh, Dylan Riola, um, who just threw a ball 72 yards at the Polynesian bowl. And when you watch it come out of his hand, you're like, yeah, I'll work with that. I mean, it's gotta be exciting for a coach. It probably wasn't the hardest sell as it was coming together. Um, you know, with Dylan and, and all that stuff sort of was merging at the same time, like with Dylan deciding to switch from, from Georgia to Nebraska and, and, um, probably this coaching decision for Glenn Thomas. But I have to think from his vantage point, he's pretty fired up about what he's walking into with not just Dylan, but also Danny, uh, Kalen, uh, you know, getting his career going. Just kind of going back to 
Brewers numbers. I believe his last, the 19 season would have been his last one with Thomas, correct? Yes. So he, that year, completed 60, basically 65% of his passes, 21 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Uh, those were all improvements from 2018, um, numbers-wise. That's not bad. You take that. Um, you would have taken that last year, um, you know, and I think, I think the thing that helps too, and I, I don't know how you feel about this, Brian. I, I, I've heard some people say it. I, I don't know that I necessarily buy it, but do you feel like your OC needs to also be your quarterback's coach? Like, does that person need to be the same guy? And I say no. And I think yeah. the fact that like, that, that there's enough familiarity here with Thomas and, and the rest of the staff that there's not going to be kind of this power struggle or like a, a battle of egos, I guess, in, in him coming in and just handling that one room. I'm sure, you know, he's going to have a ton of input on that offense, but I don't know that that person needs to be the same guy. No, I don't think so. I More importantly, Matt Rule obviously doesn't think so, not just by what's going on, but think about a year ago as he, I mean, he kind of put the map out in front of everybody right after the Iowa game about what could probably happen. Um, when he mentioned, he's like, well, yeah, I remember a year ago, sort of the initial plan was that Sat was going to coach, be the OC and coach tight ends. In fact, Satterfield had it on his Twitter bio for about a week. That was what was going to happen. And that, you know, it seemed like Pete's was going to come in maybe at that point. It was even reported, I believe, nationally that he was going to be the QB's coach, probably. Um, sort of things got in the way of that. Didn't uh, happen. But uh, that shows you that in rules mind, uh, OC does not have to be the QB's coach. And I, I actually think um, with as much attention is going to be on nebraska's quarterback room now even more so than usual like with dylan ryla's name and like how, how he's going to progress i think it's kind of useful to separate the duties actually a little bit and some of the i get i don't want to say stress but you know what i mean like all the everything that goes on with like wearing that as a coach like hey you're in charge of this and all the scrutiny and everything that comes with it well now you got it separated a bit where your oc takes some of that the other guys working with the QBs and their minds can come together. And I, I think Satterfield's very accessible that way. It's all, the way he talks to us in the me media. It seems like he's always like really valued, for instance, like Donovan Riola's opinions within the game and like how they're working on their run stuff um, as the game goes on. And I'm sure that's going to be the same thing here with Glenn Thomas. And they're all familiar with one another. So this was a natural hire. It was one people I think who looked at it closely projected for a few weeks. And now we don't have to whisper about it anymore. Do you think there's an advantage too of having Satterfield work with the tight ends, given kind of what that room is and what it's going to be? I mean, you've got Thomas <clears throat> Fedoni coming back. I think, you know, you have some guys in that group that you feel okay about. I don't know that they necessarily, I wouldn't say that they overachieved last year at all. I mean, I think they left some stuff on the field, to be honest. I mean, I don't know how much, how much of that was them or just, you know, whatever the hodgepodge at quarterback was. But, um, you know, you, you're bringing in Carter Nelson in that group in the yeah. summer. You've, you've signed a number of other guys in that group who could stick a tight end, could be wide receivers. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, what, what, 
is there an advantage there too to having more focus on that group from your offensive? Yeah, that's that's actually pretty interesting as you talk through that because <clears throat> what do they talk about wanting to be all the time a positionless offense? And there's nothing that represents that more than the the tight end spot. Like Carter Nelson is like the would be the face of that in some ways. Like when, rules on signing day was speaking about you know even like Walter Payton like fourth and one Carton. Carter Nelson's out there, um, you know, running the ball and they're going to line him up all over the field. So if your OC is involved with that group and like, hey, we can do different things with this guy over here and that guy over there, there's there's probably some use to that. So um, I don't think it's a big deal either way. I just I just I I'm fine with it. And I, I think this was the initial plan they wanted to have as far as their coaching setup anyway, a year ago, and it kind of just got derailed in December. And so now you're going back to it and it's, it's probably, um, I mean, honestly with, with this addition, it's, I, it's a better staff to me than it was a year ago at this time. Um, cause I think Glenn Thomas is pretty accomplished and he's done well with rule and you add him in there, you feel pretty good about it. And Oh yeah, there's the, uh, Holgerson stuff that still floats in the wind. And, um, you know, we said from the beginning on our site that I don't think we, we always thought if, if Holgerson ends up here, it could be more of an analyst role. That was always like our take on it. And so that remains. And I don't get the sense that there's a lot of rush there either. Like yeah. given kind of what he's coming off of, you know, from being at Houston and my senses and from talking to people is that there's not a rush on yeah. either his part or Nebraska's to kind of, you know, make that a shotgun marriage. I mean, they, they, I think there's mutual interest there, but you want to make sure it works. Um, I mean, you, you kind of touched on it briefly. I mean, you, you look at what Nebraska's done this off season from a coaching point of view. Um, you, you start out right out of the gate with the Tony white stuff. Yeah. And I mean, that, that feels like years ago that that happened. Um, but what do you what do you just kind of make, I guess, overall of the changes that Matt Rule has made to the staff? And I think some of them are some changes, but also like retaining guys. I mean, what what do you kind of make of the staff as you're starting winter conditioning this week and kind of what they made of of the offseason so far in terms of addressing areas that they felt like they had to and kind of where they came out of things? Well, um, I think they've come out of it well, because I, like I said, on offense, I think Glenn Thomas boosts you over there. And then on defense. Yeah. I mean, um, when the season ended, I was very, um, worried for Nebraska's sake about not for Tony white. It would have been awesome for him if like the head coaching thing worked out somewhere and he got that job. And I think everybody would have been happy for him. Um, I mean, his like Q rating was through the you know, up in the clouds, people are so fired up about what he's done. But the fact that you get him back to run this again with a lot of returning parts really on defense. I know there's some key guys here and there. We, we always talk about that are gone. Um, but there's a lot of guys who know what is expected now and can teach it to some of the new guys who they want to uh, work into the defensive system. And I just think this defense should be really good this year. I, I I feel confident even saying that in January and a big part of why you say that's good. Yeah. Tony white's back with the same 
group of guys coaching with him. And um, I think there's some good analysts behind the scenes that rule believes in too. And um, that's the other thing about putting a staff together. And I think rule understands this. It's not just about your 10 assistant full-time guys. It's about um, how can you maximize whatever the rules are where you get as many like, you know, useful voices in the, in the building as you can. And that's why you look at a Holgerson, like if he wants to come here for a year or two or whatever it is and do something, you know, before he, the next thing for him, that's a great thing. Um, you know, they, they have that on the defensive side of the ball is that Kevin McGarry, um, you know, um, a veteran voice was there last year. And, you know, I think all those guys are probably more important than we even know. And, rule has talked specifically about hoping that those analyst type guys can coach even more than they've been allowed to in the past. So, um, whatever the rules are, you gotta, you gotta, um, you gotta make that, uh, tilted your way. And I think rule is always thinking about that. I think there's, there's a ton of value in continuity with a coaching staff. I think there's what I've, been impressed by with Matt rule to this point is he's not attaining that kind of continuity at the expense of something being deficient. You know what I mean? Like if, if something is not working, he's going to make a change. And I think that's been something that's really stood out is that, you know, he's willing to take a very fine, close look at the way things are going uh, make changes if he has to, but not at the, you know, kind of bullheaded expense of like, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing because, you know, we, we, we want to be comfortable here. And yeah. I, I, I think that can sometimes be stressful for coaches. Like, I think he asks a lot of his coaches, but, but I think that's also, that also is kind of how you get to how you develop coaches and, and you kind of get more excellence out of them. Mm-hmm. And I also think whatever everybody thinks about Satterfield's first year in Lincoln, I I don't think Rule sees it exactly like the you know the general public. Um, I I just think he he knows that the restraints they had sort of on him and and the difficulties with you know the QB spot and and trying to figure figure out just how to piece it together to win games sort of on that side of the ball and. I think um, like there was a quote he had about sometimes there's coaches like everybody on the outside thinks did a great job and there's others people think didn't. And sometimes I think the opposite, you know, like uh, basically of that. Um, or I think they, what, what you would mean with that is there's even sometimes maybe a coach who we talk about like, man, what a job he's doing. And I, and Matt rule actually sees it day to day. He's like, yeah, he's doing an okay job, but this guy over here is actually doing just as good a job. He's just got a more difficult circumstance he's working with in this particular season. Um, and so that's probably a, a very useful approach for the head coach to have where you're, you're, you're not getting swept up in whatever the public commentary is on your staff. You do make hard choices when you have to, but if you really believe like this guy is giving me his best and giving these got these players <clears throat> the best that, that they can have, um, I'm going to continue with it no matter what somebody says on a podcast <laughs> or whatever, you know? So uh, that's the way you got, you got to be in that captain's chair. 
All right. Anything else with uh, Glenn Thomas? We can take a quick break and then you got to turn the page. We're, we're already on 2024. Guys are coming on campus. Yep. And uh, we can get into some early enrollees uh, and, and then talk about one particular early enrollee um, who is in Hawaii right now. Uh, very jealous of that. So uh, we'll take a quick break and be right back uh, in just a second. It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. All right. Uh, early enrollee time. Um, we mentioned Ja'Cory Barney, uh, his unfortunate uh, fall on the ice. Hope he's okay. Um, but he is one of, is it 16? Scholarship guys who are on campus right now uh, going through um, the start of winter conditioning, plus a couple walk-ons and, and transfers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, the, the group is over 20 um, by the time you kind of factor everybody in. You talk to, I believe, like 95% of the early enrollees in the last couple of weeks just to kind of catch up and, and do stories and uh you know, kind of get that last word in before they are Nebraska, officially Nebraska players. Those are all available uh, at Husker 24-7 and, and definitely worth a read. But as you kind of get into the the off season and the, the run-up to spring ball, and we're still a couple months away from that, but who who are a couple guys that, that are not quarterbacks? Because I think that's obviously going to have a lot, of, a lot of attention. But who who stands out to you or guys that, like, that first practice of spring where we get like our 10 minutes of stretching that we yeah. get to watch, who are you going to be trying to find in that group to see, you know, yeah. how's this going to look? Get your piece of paper out right in front of you. I know you have the names. Um, Cause you know how this hamster wheel, how I got to get it spinning sometimes. Right. So let's go through the names and I'll, I'll, I have some thoughts as we go through them, but right. uh, like who, who, just run through the name. Who's coming. We think. All right. Riola bricks. Mm-hmm. Gradney, Barney, Kalen, Murphy, uh, McGahee, mm-hmm. Taylor, Pyle, Buford, Smith, uh, Shavers, oh, Guthrie, yeah. Flint, Tarver. <laughs> uh, no, these names might not even be real. I don't know. I'm just I'm just reading them. Uh, no, they're all real. Yeah, they're they're real and they're spectacular. Isaac Diff, Isaac Dickey, the walk on fullback. Yeah. Uh, he's he's enrolling early. Um, and then the, um, the transfers. Okay. Um, so who are where... the, the non-transfer non-quarterback, you got a lot of guys to pick from <laughs> who stood out to you during your conversations and who are you like, okay, I'm curious to see what, what, what this is going to be this spring. McGahee and, Sh- and Shavers interest me right away because, um, you're talking linebackers at a position where we know that they the coaching staff felt there was a little bit of a need there because they went and got Stefan Thompson um, from Syracuse as a transfer portal guy. But even with his addition, I know in talking to those guys, they see that the door is open for them like McGahee and Shavers and McGahee was a um, prospect, you know, obviously he's got it in the genes with his dad having played in the NFL and a great Miami hurricane player. Um, but the thing that really stuck out to me about Willis was how focused he is on making his own path and like telling his own 
football story, basically. And there's a real determination uh, to him about that. And like he takes pride. I think that he's on the other side of the ball, even though I'm not he he loves his dad, obviously. But it's I get it. It's like you want to you don't always want to be in the headline referred to as so and so's son. Like it always happens in the first few headlines when a guy's introduced to a fan base. At some point, you just want to be. Oh, yeah. Willis McGay, the fourth is really good, like you know, on, on his own measure. And um, I just think he's a guy who is very productive um, throughout his high school career, uh, stay loyal to Nebraska for a lot of months um, when there was others kicking the tires on him. And he's at a spot where um, I think one of those guys, either him or Shavers or some a, a young backer, could introduce himself to the two deep at least um by the time we get to the fall and that's a long ways away but shavers also really interests me obviously he came on the scene late he was a miami hurricanes commit for a a long time um he went to the the dade broward also he played in the dade broward all-star game after he signed with nebraska and was the defensive mvp of it and i thought that was impressive that like you know he could have been on in the next chapter in his life but he went and balled out and um he's very fast and um you know i understand why nebraska wanted to jump on that so you'd hope that one or two of those guys can take off brunts because they've got this miami thing starting to go you know full well on the previous regime nebraska really struggled with the florida kids and keeping them here and having success over the long haul they could recruit them but they couldn't get much out of them in this case, there's a very central focus to Nebraska's recruiting efforts where it's more just Miami based in that Florida recruitment. And they've got the connections there. All those guys kind of coming up at the same time, Ja'Cory Barney being one of them. Um, maybe that's useful too, that they're all going through it together. So those guys really have my notice. How about you? Yeah, yeah no, that it's a good point about the Miami thing because I mean, Philip Simpson's been huge in terms of yeah. their recruiting efforts down there. He was. I believe he visited Shavers like the the day before he visited Nebraska was part of that group that went in and saw him. Um, And, you know, I I think in fairness to the last staff, I mean, they were that huge group of Florida commits that they had. It was the COVID year. You show up in Lincoln in the middle of winter, you can't do anything normal. And I I think the one smart thing that, that Matt rule and his staff have done, and you can kind of tell, get those guys on campus, get them in a group and, and, basically get them busy, like keep mm-hmm. them doing things. Because I think when you do that, you, you forget that it's, you know, minus 10 outside. You forget that you're so far away from home, that the sun's not out, all that stuff. And I, I think, I think you have to be really dialed in on those things to make it not feel so far away and to, to keep those guys not thinking, well, what, what am I doing here? Um, because football season feels really far away right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I think they've done a good, a good job so far of, of kind of doing those things of like, just get in the program, get on a schedule and, and, you know, making them feel part of the program. Shavers in particular is interesting though. I mean, it when you kind of have those quick recruitments where a guy visits on the last weekend, commits signs, I mean, what, what's kind of his, what was kind of his approach to that that kind of quick marriage with Nebraska? Because it, it was only, you know, 72 hours basically from yeah. when he committed from Miami to when he was 
committed to Nebraska. Yeah, his dad told me um, when they got in the car from the Omaha airport and began the trek to the stadium, like on that Friday or whatever, to start that weekend, they were talking to the um, driver. Whoever the driver was, they're going to have to bump up his pay a little bit because he did some good recruiting. And, like, they were already, like, convinced by this person. Like, Nebraska's not what everybody, like, just pictures it from the outside necessarily. There's more to it around here than we thought. And uh, even before they got to the stadium and did all the stuff with coaches or whatever, he told his son, he's like, the breakup with Miami or whatever and this change of plans is going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. And so there was an immediate um, identification of, like, there's real opportunity here to uh, kind of like Willis in a different way, Willis McGahey, like chart your own path somewhere else. Like, you know, not, not just where in the place you've always known. And, uh, it takes a special kind of, I think prospect or kid to, to like want that sometimes to like, I want to get outside of my comfort zone and, and go somewhere that's completely different. But I always appreciate when it happens. It's also why I'm not as hard brunts when there's a local guy who sometimes picks somewhere else. Cause I'm like, you know, we, we celebrate it when somebody from Miami or something does it and comes here. I understand it can happen the other way as well. And uh, anyway, those Miami guys, I'm, I'm excited about their potential. Like Jacory Barney, I think with a full runway into the season couldn't could make something happen. Now there's a lot of guys who are redshirt for, or second year receivers who are thinking the same thing. Um, but that Miami crew um, definitely intrigues as we'd have this discussion about early enrollees who, who could do something. And then um, you went through the list like Grant Bricks. I mean, being here, I think that was a tough decision for him whether to leave high school, you know, in December or not, but he made the call and he's, he's going through it. And, um, you know, they, they've got, um, experience in front of him on the whole line. So maybe he doesn't play right away, but th- I think it's going to be huge for him to have this, this winter conditioning in this spring in the program, just like it was for like Gunnar Gatula last year. I, I left Davon Hall also off oh, yeah. as yeah. well, but, and that kind of leads into my next question. You mentioned Barney. Um, I know that he's a guy that over North Stadium, they feel like they really got a guy out of Florida that, you know, they, they got a steal there. I, I think that's the the feeling. Um, but that wide receiver group, I think, is of, of the early enrollees besides quarterbacks, maybe linebackers. I mean, the wide receiver group is going to get a lot of attention regardless. You've got Hall. You've got Barney. Um, you've got Keelan Smith um, mm. as part of that group as well. Um, I mean, one, at least one of those guys is probably going to have to, you know, get close to four games, I think, right? I mean, you, you got Jamal Banks, you got Isaiah Nair, that helps a ton. Um, you know, you got Coleman, Doss, Lloyd coming back from last year, Bullock. You, you'd probably like at least one of those young guys to emerge. Uh, Demetrius Bell, I guess, coming off of his red shirt, too. Uh, we yeah. heard nothing but good things about him and how he kind of terrorized the the defense on the scout team, but um one of those guys has a i think has a chance or is gonna have to yeah this is what i hope with receivers it feels like every time this year in the offseason you can go through the names and you're able to talk yourself pretty quickly and like actually they should be pretty good you know like you kind of can and you can definitely do that with the guys you named off 
where you're like, man, they could have seven or eight guys you feel okay about by the time they get to August. <laughs> but let's see it. Like I, that's one where it's like, let's see it now because I feel like we've been um, on this road before where we've been hopeful that that's going to be the picture. And then you get to the season and there's a game where it feels like you're, who's the third receiver right now. You like, you, you don't know exactly like how they're going to go beyond four or five guys. So yeah, I, I hoped at least one of those young guys jumps into the mix because I think if, if one of those guys does it, one of the newbies along with like say a Demetrius bell and Coleman and Lloyd um, take a natural progression this year, you're feeling you are feeling good then about what what is the reality of it. So uh, Keelan Smith, I'm glad you brought him up again, because I don't think anybody in this class had a better senior year than him. I mean, basically the player of the year in the state of Missouri. Uh, just a, I, when he I'll be honest, when he committed, I was it was a legacy. So you're kind of fired up about that. But that was sort of where it's stopped and started for me. And then uh, you see a senior season, you're like, no, yeah. he's he he can play and showed you it shows you something, too. I always think Bronze when a guy commits and then he goes out and backs it up that that next season. It's not just like, oh, OK, I'm kind of waiting till college or whatever. He he was the best dude in the state of Missouri, and there's a lot of good players down there. So um I'm really excited about him and he's another who could be a positionless, you know, receiver, tight end, hybrid, whatever. Um, so yeah, he should be a, definitely a guy that's, uh, carries as much intrigue. I think is like, you know, I'll even say is like Carter Nelson and stuff. Like I, when he gets here, I, I just think Keelan Smith is a guy you should be pretty fired up about from what he did his senior year. Yeah. Donovan Jones is another, is the other guy that I go to of like, okay, he committed early you were kind of like, okay, they see something in him. And then senior year, like, okay, I, I, I get it now. Like he was the other guy that definitely was, uh, was not resting on his laurels after, after committing to Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah. Donovan, I talked to him too. Uh, he's not an early enrollee. I don't think. Right. Um, but he, uh, I did do a story on him a couple weeks ago and, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he he's um he can do everything in the defense like i think like in that back back two levels like he has that potential and um yeah he's gonna be he's gonna be a good player i think yeah the, the and he's a north guy, viking <laughs> that doesn't hurt um the, the other two guys just to mention really quickly before we move on to one last thing uh bricks Grant Bricks and, and Gibson Pyle were both at the uh, All-American Bowl uh, in San Antonio last week, uh, two weeks ago now. Um, and I, I think those are two guys long-term that are going to benefit a ton from being on campus um, early. I mean, the the extra semester of winter conditioning, going through that process, like you said, I, I don't think that either of them – necessarily end up on the field this year for Nebraska. I think with Pyle, there might've been a chance, but I I think, you know, Mazuka getting in there um, as a transfer, I think that probably buys those guys a ton of time to develop and, 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 and whatnot. But um, I I think those guys, those two guys long-term, I I think are are really nice additions. Like they had, they had a pretty steady week down in San Antonio and that's always, I, I think tough as a lineman 
uh, to do that. But I think they both showed that they can be uh, certainly serviceable as run blockers. You, you, you know, Bricks needs to add the pass protection piece of it, which a lot of high school linemen do. But um, anytime you can get linemen in and have that extra semester, I think it's a really big deal. Yeah, for sure. And um, one of Bricks's roommate as at least as a couple of weeks ago when I did the interview is uh, Daniel Kalen. And I just say a quick word about him. Um, obviously I think a lot of Husker fans uh, really appreciate that he, he's, he's stuck with the class, but you talk to Michael Huffman, you know, the Bellevue West coach, and he made a really good point. He's like, when the, he was talking with Danny about the situation, he's like, that's a great opportunity. I mean, truly it is like he actually, there's actually only three scholarship QBs in the room right now. Like he could, you, yeah, you, he could have went and visited Michigan state or whatever, but they plucked an, another guy that, that, you know, they love um, to be their quarterback. And um, it would have been that way anywhere you go. And so the fact that he gets to come in at the same time and yeah, Ryle is going to get up more of the steam and more headlines and all that. But you, you, watch this for a long time runs you know you know you got to have multiple guys ready at that spot and um there's not a lot of people in the chairs right now so it's a pretty good deal for him to like just go compete his butt off and just see where it takes him and um yeah let let the noise go elsewhere but maybe uh you, you know you quietly position yourself to matter sooner than later in some way because usually you do need multiple qbs within a season yeah well and it's you always kind of you have that identifier with Dylan Riola right now as you know five star quarterback Dylan Riola. People need to remember that that Danny Kalen was also an elite eleven quarterback. Um, and yeah, he was among the top eleven according to a lot of people at that watching that competition and and part of it he won the accuracy competition so he's he's no no slouch. Um, and and I, as much excitement as there is about Dylan Riola, and we'll talk about him here in a minute. Um, you know. Daniel Kalen is, is a very good quarterback in his own right. Um, just to say. Yep. And, uh, and dudes like him a lot in that class. He, uh, he was, he was, uh, you know, the, a vocal leader for that class. And I think Ryle is becoming that now too, now that he's back in the fold, but yeah, that's gonna, that'll be fun to watch those two grow. But, uh, yes, we do talk probably more and we're going to <laughs> about Ryle. who's down at the Polynesian bowl. Um, and, uh, he he's he's more he's like uncle rico and not not his throwing motion but he can throw it over those mountains maybe it kind of looked like it when he launched his 72 yard pass like it could go over over the the tops of the the peaks there yeah so so let's talk about that briefly um so the last big showcase event is the polynesian bowl um that'll be broadcast friday night at eight o'clock i believe central time um on nfl network Dylan Riola, uh, Carter Nelson's playing in it as well, uh, and, and Preston Tauma, um, the offensive line signee out of Hawaii. Um, but Dylan Riola, uh, first day of practice, they do a long throw competition. He's the only quarterback that throws it uh, 70 yards, and his two throws went 72 and 70 yards, um, which was notable, won the competition. And you know, you've seen the clips, you've seen, uh, you've seen the interviews with the, uh, the guys are 24 seven, Blair and Gula, Greg Biggins and, and Brandon Huffman. The ball looks good coming out of his hands. Like it, it yeah. really does. Um, 
And you were at you were at that camp with me the the first time he showed up and threw him Memorial Stadium. And you're like, okay, this 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 looks right. It still looks right. It still yeah. looks right. Yeah. You know what? And a few weeks ago when we were waiting to see how the dust settled with Nebraska's quarterback situation, I was among those who was pretty fired up about um like having that veteran guy who's that bridge into the future when the whole McCord thing was in play, maybe whatever. Um, I've, I've moved on from it pretty fast and maybe that's just what you do when it goes a certain way. We're used to that. Like, Oh, we got to go this way now. So we're going to, we'll do that uh, dutifully. Um, but I actually, it's, it hasn't been hard to get like on board with like that. Yes. He's a 18 year old freshman. Um, but man, he does have tools that we haven't seen from guys at that position around here. Um, that doesn't mean it's all going to uh, be roses the first year. There's going to be lumps. Everybody knows that. But um, yeah, he can do all the all the throws. And you hear that about a lot of guys, but it, it does look different. And the, here's what stands out to me is last week, Jamal Banks commits. You know, you're talking about a 22, 23 year old guy from Wake Forest who's been around college football four or five years. And he went out of his way to talk about how when he threw with Ryle on his visit, he's like, yeah, he's he's like beyond some of the a lot of those guys who have been around a lot, just like with everything he does. He was talking about like the depth he gets like just in his footwork when he goes back to throw like it all stood out to banks as like this guy's really pretty polished for his age and um you know has obviously had good teaching at the position so yeah there's a lot of hype around him and that's not going to go away it's going to be the most hype one of the most hype players we've ever covered at the university of nebraska but there's a reason for it um he's he's got he's got a skill set that is is special now you just hope it can all uh come together but it's got to excite Husker fans, um, they've had players at all-star games like this before, but it's never been like this that I remember with a guy where like it's check-in day on Sunday and like it's who's on the all lobby team. And it's like, you know, the first paragraphs in our net from our national guys is, is Dylan Ryla. Like he's the guy everybody wants to talk about and not just around here. And, um, that's exciting to have that. Yeah, the most recent write-up um, they were talking about just kind of the media demands that he's had there. Um, yeah. And I, I think, you know, he's handled it pretty well, all things considered. I mean, he he did some interviews uh, during his uh, recruiting process. Um, but, I you know, I think now that he's signed and is out there a little bit more, I mean, I, the demands are high. Um, that's not going to change when he's at Nebraska either, for sure. Um, but I, I think he's handled all that really well. So, um, good practice, I guess, in Hawaii for what he's going to face in Lincoln. I'll be eager to see how Matt Rule kind of handles the quarterback discussions this spring. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think we're going to have a situation where you've got a, a veteran quarterback talking about the two younger quarterbacks, and that's it. Um, we've done that before in Nebraska, and you know I, I i do think it is important though to manage that as as best you can right. um from a coaching perspective yeah it won't be easy i the thing that's good about this event is people are seeing dylan do some interviews and he's very capable of it as he's shown um 
and I, I mean this as a compliment, like I think when you're going through the recruiting process and you're that high profile, you do have to sometimes distance yourself like from it, like always being out front. And so sometimes, you know, because of that, I think Dominic would kind of speak in some of the interviews and stuff like that. And people might form an idea like, oh, okay, Dylan can't talk for himself. Well, he's pretty good at it, I think. Like, so I that's something about this event um that's that's good um and i understand the way they they handle the process but now like as he's talking about wanting to be a transformational leader you know and that's something he wrote down after he had that talk with rule like that's what i want to be um and he knows it it starts now like it's got to start at, at this event where you're with your future teammates like Car carter nelson and you're trying to form a chemistry there in passes and practices it's going to matter when he comes back and you're pushing a prowler in the snow, you know, in the stadium, like you've got to be the guy who's like at the front of the line and you just show everybody sort of like you showed Jamal Banks a week or so ago. Yeah. Like it's legit. Like everything he, he wants to put in the work to be great and not just have it be about, I was a, a big time recruit and the story ends there. So, um, this is, these are a big few weeks, you know, for him and, and Daniel, uh, when he get as he gets going to establish with their teammates that yeah they're young quarterbacks but uh, you can get behind me and because uh, I'm going to work as hard as you. You'll get to uh, to see Dylan Riola uh, again Friday um, 8 p.m. I believe 8 8 30. Um, I think 8. That's too early um, for like you probably wish that were a little later. Yeah, well, if they were kicking it off like a Hawaii game, I mean, we'd be watching this thing at midnight, which would be okay with me. Um, but yeah, uh, NFL Network will be uh, will be broadcasting that. Our guys from twenty four seven will have ample coverage of that game uh, and much more from the Polynesian Bowl. And we uh, and then we're on to the off season, the 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 workouts in twenty twenty four. So um, that's all I've got. Is that all you got? Yeah, I think I think we covered enough ground for a cold January day. We tried right. to do our part to give some people something to listen to while they're uh, shoveling. Do people listen to pot, these podcasts while they're like shoveling snow or anything? Or are you just like focused on surviving more? I think probably. I think it's it's more survival. It's not as enjoying. It's not like mowing the lawn. No, no. it's not. Um, all right. So Brian Christopherson there. I'm Michael Brunts. Uh, get to Husker 24-7 this week. Lots of Polynesian Bowl coverage. All of Brian's rundowns with early enrollees on the site. Again, worth a read. Um, maybe two reads if, if you really want to. Uh, we'll be back with podcasts later in the week. And thanks for listening.